a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back, everyone. Steven, how are you? I am so well, my friend. My friend Emily had her baby on July 14th, and Thea is beautiful and precious in everything the Reading Houses were dreaming, so very proud of them. They did the thing. Rest in peace, Emily, wherever you are resting tonight as you rest your child. Oh, you do um, not start a sentence like that. We are joined today. That, I'm sorry. By... Hold on. That sounds well, like <laughs> Emily died the way you started that. That's not good. <laughs> well, in a, in a way, she is dead to us for two months because she is not on the podcast. Okay. Still misleading. But we are joined by... <laughs> oh, my God. We are joined by a new guest host. She's a lovely person. Her name is Katie Falcongrove. Did I pronounce your last name correctly, Katie? Uh, yes, you did. Nailed it. <laughs> I was confused because some of your relatives have a different last name, and I'm confused about that, but we'll come back to that in a later date. Yes. <laughs> Katie is a co-host of one of our sister shows, the In 2 podcast, and she's going to be joining us on this episode as we ravel out a topic about faith together. Yeah. So welcome, Katie. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, some fun facts about Katie. Um. I've literally never seen her face in real time, even though I know what she looks like. Like, we've never met in real life. So this will be another fun journey for us, just like me and Emily. Um, You are also an Enneagram 9, Mm -hmm. like myself. Yes. And she cannot tell the difference between Stephen and I's voices. Fun fact. So this is going to be a very fun discussion. Also correct. Voice blindness. Um, Katie, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Into show? Sure. For anyone who hasn't listened to it. Yeah. So I'm one of the hosts of the Into podcast, and it's uh, hosted by my husband, Alex, and his parents are on there. So it's my husband, my in-laws, and uh, Alex's best friend, Kevin, who is basically family. So he's basically my brother-in-law. And yeah, we all talk about whatever we're into that week. So sometimes it's like really serious stuff. like death and processing death and other times it's things like poop stories so we kind of talk about whatever we want (laughs) um but alex structures it if it was me thank you if it was me talking about whatever i wanted man we'd never there would be no structure so i'm glad that (laughs) alex is there to rein me in oh absolutely (laughs) well we're excited for you to be on this one where there are literally no reins to be held on you Uh oh! Great. Um, before we get started, <laughs> I think we should talk about what we're drinking. What are you guys drinking? Well, I am using a a wonderful device called an Ember mug because, just like my soup, my coffee should never become lukewarm or cold. Um, Ooh. so I am drinking a cup of coffee with a new. Okay, that's a controversial take. Ember mug. 
Well, of course it is. Of course it is, Josh. We've <laughs> we've fought on Twitter many times about soup and coffee and stuff, but I have a device that now... Okay, well, I'm glad that you're drinking hot coffee. Yep. It prevents it from becoming anything less than hot coffee, and I think humanity is one. You know, we've solved coffee Are you drinking now. like a... Uh, any specific one, or are you drinking like your classic, no normal coffee? Oh, I, I wish it was that bougie. I have the good mug, but I just have like a K-cup Starbucks blend in here. Boring. Veranda blend for me on the K-cups. <laughs> Katie, what about you? What What drink have you brought for this conversation? I just finished my coffee. Of course, I like. I was like, I'm going to make a coffee for this, and then knocked it back like a friggin' shot. Oh. And so now I just have water. <laughs> that's like that's like when you get popcorn at the movies and the popcorn is gone by the trailers. And you eat it all. Yes. Right. That is exactly what I did with my coffee this morning. Yeah. You got a I planned excited. on making it last and I just <laughs> couldn't. So good. That's totally uh, fine. Josh. I'm double fisting my drinks for you to make up oh. for your lack of a drink. I'm drinking a Perfection apple cider from Last Chance Cider Mill in Billings, Montana, which Katie, whenever you visit Billings. Mm-hmm. You have to go to this place. It's okay. incredible. Last Chance and Thirsty Street simply are must. the two stops we must make. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah. We got plans. Um, and then I'm also drinking a green juice. Oh. Green juice. It out. Nice. Vegetables, nice. fruits, protein. It's all the good stuff. Katie, mm-hmm. I want you to start us off. What do you bring to the table today? I would love if we could talk about youth group youth group and i feel very open about it we can talk about anything but i was just like i know i want to talk about you oh man good the bad let's talk about it cool is it just like on your mind lately or has like something inspired this i mean it's been a little bit like a topic of conversation lately with alex and i but it's also just a little bit always on my mind i still like follow people from my youth group on Instagram, you know, so memories pop up. Mm. I still follow my youth group's Facebook page, so I get updates, even though I I'm have not been in youth group for a long time, but I still get those updates when they're like, mm. youth group's starting soon, kids. Mm. <laughs> so it's always a little bit on my mind. I don't know about you two. I mean, Katie's bringing the topic, so I'm, I'm sure she has some thoughts about it, but I, I always look back at youth group with a tremendous amount of fondness. I think like mm-hmm. youth group was where I gained the majority of my friends who are my friends today. You know, like those relationships mm-hmm. have lasted like a decade at this point. And I really treasure that. I I love the fact that we had so much time between like 6th and 12th grade to just kind of be to get have an excuse to be together on a weekly basis outside of you know, the middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. But then I remember some things like we were taught in the youth group. And then I'm like, oh, no. I know. Oh, no. So there's a, there, it's, it's a complicated feeling I have for youth group right yeah. now. I feel incredibly similarly where I feel like it's majority positive where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had so much fun. I had such great friends. I had incredible leaders, mm. like people who were so kind and so honest and so like taught me about who I want to be as a person in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And yet 
<laughs> there's also a little bit of like every once in a while a memory will come like flooding back that I'm like, ooh, I feel a little yucky about mm. that. For context, Katie, could you tell us about the church you grew up at? Sure. I, starting in like fifth grade, started going to a Southern Baptist church. <laughs> and, and you know, it was like classic, kind of pretended it was non-denominational for a while. And then it, mm. it's like, no, we're just Southern Baptist, just like all non-denominational churches are, in my opinion. <gasps> Um, oh, but this church, <laughs> they came out of the closet. They came out of the Baptist they, closet. Yeah, they really did. Because so I think good. enough people were like, but what is it? And then it was like, <laughs> all right, we're Baptists. All right. <laughs> That's so good. And my pastor was British and he was lovely and delightful. Mm. And I would say it's like, I was going to try to give a size range, but I'm not very good at numbers, as Alex will attest to. Anytime I try to guess a number for how many people are in a room, it's like way off. Like, so I could be like, yeah, there were probably like a million people there and it was like 50. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say it was like a medium sized church. Sure. And it wasn't in Denver. It was like a little out. It was like a suburb outside of Denver, medium size. I commuted 30 minutes to go there because all the churches in my hometown were. Uh, had a lot of uh, old people because I was in a farm town. Mm. And so we would go to Thornton, which felt like the big city. And we'd go because there were uh, people my age there. How big was the youth group that you went to? Um, it definitely grew. Like by the time I was a senior, the youth group had like doubled or tripled in size. So when I first started going, it probably felt like 30 people. God, and that could even include leaders. Like, it felt kind of small, but by the time... Well, that's not small. That's decent. And then by the time I was a senior in high school, it felt like there were probably, like, 60 middle schoolers and still maybe, like, 30, 20 to 30 high schoolers, maybe. Mm, It really felt like it got big. Yeah. So I lost some of the charm by the time I got old. I think youth group size is so fascinating. Yeah. Like, for instance, my youth group experience was going to a different church at first because, like, I'm, I'm a PK, so I grew up going to my dad's church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't mm-hmm. have a youth group for a hot second. Like, there weren't enough kids or I, like, didn't qualify at that point. So, in middle school, I started going to the bigger church in town that was super close to us. And they had just a middle school youth group that was probably like 70 kids. Okay. And it was like only two grades and it was like 70 kids. And then their high school was like even bigger. It was like borderline church production just for middle school youth group. Wow. So I went to that for a little while. And then coming back to my dad's church when I finally like qualified for the really small youth group that was like just beginning to be organized again. Whoa. But there were also my dad's church. There was some like youth group youth leader controversy, like people in and out, um, like kids not being kept or like kids acting out, you know, like typical Mm -hmm. youth group controversy kind of stuff. And then I watched that youth group grow up through me being a senior. And I kind of feel the same way to you, Stephen. Like, I think that there is such a unique relationship, especially in like more intimate youth group settings to people that you have gone to youth group with for like four plus years together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not all we're not all best friends with each other, but I think there's like a special memory for me about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, what kind of games did you guys play in youth group? <laughs> okay, I was literally talking about this with someone the other day. I've literally only ever seen once those disgusting youth group games where you like oh, drink God. a can of soda to your sock or something. Like I've only seen <laughs> that once and I don't understand that as a trend. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But what games did, were you playing with? Like, like for me, it was a 60-40 chance that we were playing Ultimate Frisbee on the night of youth group. Oh. Like it was just the thing that our group did always, all the Whoa. time. Um, we also played a game we called bucket ball, which was kind of a combination. We used like those red rubber dodgeballs and it was a combination of ultimate Frisbee soccer and basketball. I mean like, and then all sorts of indoor games like grog and mm-hmm. capture the flag jailbreak. I I have a few stories of dis- disgusting games. If you guys want to hear them, the disgusting. Sure. Okay. So. Um, one time we, we actually did make tea using our socks as tea bags. Stop. That's awful. And then another one we did is we, okay. So one kid would like sit back in a chair and tilt his head back and open his mouth or their mouth. And then Mm -hmm. we would, we would squeeze lemons and put like spoonfuls of sugar in his mouth. And then he would like stir it up with his cheeks and stuff and then he'd spit it in a cup and then another kid had to drink the lemonade to win the game no yeah i yeah dude dude. morally wrong (laughs) (laughs) that's awful what is even the point like i don't understand (laughs) it was a youth group game man uh we squeeze the lemons of sin into Jesus's mouth, and this is what no. he gives us in return. Like he turns, no. he takes our lemons, and he turns them into lemonade. <laughs> like, it, like, what is the point of doing those games? Uh, like, I, it just completely boggles my mind. I'm so glad I never grew up uh, with those. It's a very sticky memory for me, both literally yeah. and psychologically. Um, Katie, what about you? What games did you grow up playing in? Okay, your youth group? so. Here was the structure of my youth group. Every night you get there and um, in the in the sanctuary that once you moved all the chairs, it was basically a gym, but carpeted. <laughs> um, but they yep. still had like basketball hoops yep. and stuff. But we w- would typically only play dodgeball. I know that we had other games like Gaga Ball or whatever, but like pretty much every week it was going to be dodgeball. And people took it so seriously. And there were multiple times that people who have now gone on to become like professional athletes like hit me in the face and I got like gushing bloody noses um, because people took it like crazy seriously, which was fun. And we would like listen to like August Burns Red, like it would be like (laughs) so intense and loud and it was really fun. Heck yes. Um, So it's like we'd open with a game like that, like a sport. (laughs) And and we love dodgeball so much that uh, like once or twice a year, we would have huge dodgeball tournaments and that's all it was the whole night. And you would like wear costumes and there could be a competition for best costume. And one year, my team won. We were called the Dependables and we dressed up like old people. Um, we did <laughs> d- get disqualified from the actual game because we all had walkers and we started hitting dodgeballs with our walkers. And then they were like, hang on, hang on. But we still won best costume. So I feel good about it. That was brilliant. Use, <laughs> yeah, use it was those awesome. Props. That's funny. It was awesome. So yeah, we'd open with a sport like dodgeball and then we would move in to games 
And those were typically minute to win it. Usually oh, not gross. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, uh-huh. you're saying like you started with a sport and then also had games. And then it was more Correct. games. Yeah, oh. so it's like you opened with a Whoa. sport and then it gave you a little bit of leeway to like get there because it started at like six, but people would come a little early. So then it gave people some time to get there and like hop into the game or I mean to the sport. And then you transitioned into like the cafeteria area and that's where we actually had youth group. And uh, that's where we'd open with a game that was usually minute to win it and usually not gross. But, you know, it was like where you have the Oreo on your head and you have to get it into your mouth or like cup stacking, stuff like that. And then you'd win a Chick-fil-A gift card if you won that. And then it would be like a some music that the little youth group band would play. And then it would be like the sermon. Mm. So that was the structure of the evening. That's good, man. Yeah, it was good. You're bringing me back to, I was in the youth group band as well. I was that kid. Yeah, me too. So I would leave the games maybe like 10 minutes early to go make sure the guitars were tuned and get the soundboard Mm -hmm. up and running, you know, and then try and recreate that. Like, welcome to a concert. Come and (laughs) jump around with us. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Some of that cringy energy. (laughs) Oh, it's sweet. I'm okay with it. I like it. I feel like I only ever encountered that really hyped up attitude at like church retreats or church camp. Like, I don't feel like my weekly youth group was like that, Mm. but maybe it's just because it was such a smaller, intimate setting. Like it was usually like less than 10 kids. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, That's a small group right there. Yeah. That is like, yeah, like a small group. Where did your guys's church draw the line between like the co-ed youth group and the gendered small groups? Cause for me it was like, it was Wednesday night where it was like boys small group and then Sunday night was the co-ed like all the high schoolers would get together, Ooh. you know, and all the middle schoolers would get together two hours earlier. Oh, how did your breakdown go? Wow. For mine, uh, again, going with how the structure of the evening went. So like the sport was middle school all the way through high school and the leaders, everyone of all oh. genders and all ages played together And then the minute to win it, all ages, all genders played together. And then the music, like worship and the uh, like the sermon, everyone stayed together. And then we would break into gendered aged groups. So it'd be like sermon and then, okay, like middle school girls group A go over here. Middle school girls group B go over here. And you like knew who your leader was. And if you were new, they would just like toss you into one. And they'd be like, okay, go into this one. And then like high school girls, high school boys. But we did most of it together. And then the very last discussion of the evening that we closed on was a small gendered group. And it all took place on Sunday nights. Mm. See, there was no like separation for me. Like it was all co-ed. Man, my youth group must have been bigger than I think, comparatively at least. Mm. Yeah, because it was every Wednesday night like the four different groups would meet and it would be middle school boys, high school boys, middle school girls, high school girls, like middle school and high school were always separate for us. Okay. Um, which I feel like for games is actually kind of okay because like <laughs> I had some mean high school. I knew some mean high schoolers when I was in middle oh, school. No. They would just like dunk on, <laughs> on the middle oh, schoolers no. so hard. And it was kind of a bummer. Terrible. So we kept it. We kept it separate a little bit. Katie, but. now that you are an adult and you're the one who wanted uh-huh. to bring this up, I'm curious what kinds of questions you are still left with 
looking back on your youth group experience from the perspective that you're at now? Hmm. I feel like a lot of my things that I find myself still thinking about that might even be in like a negative way. I don't know. Maybe they're more neutral, but a lot of my questions are almost more about interpersonal relationships where it's like I'm thinking about my youth group leaders a lot and things that they said. And and some of it is like, what was their training? And and most of them I kind of know it's like, well, nothing. And that's OK. But also to like speak so authoritatively into mm. curious young minds for as far as like leaders that were not my youth pastor, because I. I and I have really positive experiences mm. with ninety percent of the leaders. Almost, I would argue a hundred percent, but I do have little moments of like stuff that some people said where it's like, "Well, okay, I'll, okay." I'll give one story that's an example where I'm like, "It's not too bad," but I find myself thinking about it a lot and in a bad way. So one time, um, one of the other youth leaders got up and did the sermon that night, and we had just gotten back from camp. And he started kind of making a joke where he was like, he's like, remember when we were on the bus coming home from camp and there was, uh, how did he say it? He might've just been like, and remember it was like, there were those cars pulled over to the side of the road and maybe it was like an accident had happened. And he's like, didn't you just for a second think like, whoa, it's going to be transformers. And then those cars are going to whatever. And he told it in a really funny way that everyone laughed at and everyone laughed. And then he shamed us all for laughing, but he's the one who set it up like a joke. And then he's like, well, that's not funny. He's like, you know what you should have done? You should have stopped and prayed for them. And it's like, you're Whoa. the one who made that funny. None of us thought of Transformers. You're the one who just made us laugh. And at the time, I didn't think that. Like, I just was like, oh, my God, he's right. I should have stopped and prayed for them. Ugh. But now as an adult looking back at that moment, I'm like, no, he made a joke. And we are children. I was maybe late middle school, early high school. It's like I'm like 14, 15. Of course, I laugh when an adult man makes a joke, A, because I'm a nine. <laughs> so some of it is like huh. being polite and wanting to like be a good listener. <laughs> but some of it is because like he was funny and he made it a right, joke. Right. And then he shames us for like, I don't know. So there's stuff like that where I'm like, what's his qualification? Who let that happen? Who was approving these things? Or did he just get up and say that? And like, how did my youth pastor feel about that? Did he, because I trust and love him still. I'm like, did he look at that and be like, ooh, he shouldn't have said that. Or was he like, yes, this was a good learning opportunity. So a lot of my questions are like that, where it's like, how did people feel that someone said that to us as children who were impressionable? And did he get reprimanded? I know eventually he left the church and went to a new church that was like a little bit more, I guess I would say conservative because he had some like kind of intense views. And so then I'm like, did, and then I kind of wonder, I'm like, did he get kicked out because he was saying things like that? Or did he really leave on his own? So a lot of my questions are like that, where it's like there were consequences mm. to people saying things. Mm. And maybe they got, you know, reprimanded, but no one talked to me about it as a student. Like no one said, hey, that thing, I'll leave his name. I'll make up a name. We'll call him Bob. Uh, you know, like no one said, hey, you know what, guys, that thing Bob said that probably felt kind of bad and he shouldn't have done that. You know, like maybe mm. they told oh, wow. Bob that, but they didn't yeah. tell us as kids that. And I would have liked some moments like that, I think, where they're like, hey, guys, 
sorry that you were shamed for laughing at a joke that someone told. Yeah. What, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, absolutely of? makes sense. Yeah. Oh, man. You were just bringing up so many memories for me, too, now. Like, I feel like I have seen multiple, uh, not necessarily controversy, but like, multiple youth leaders leave unexpectedly or like be asked to leave. And then the yes. ramifications of that were like, especially since it was a small church, like most of the kids would like stop coming because in, in a weird way, it's like almost when your manager leaves, then you're like, well, should I leave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like this one time, uh, this was at a church that I only went to for a year and I was actually taking a class from this guy. And um, then he gets up on one Sunday and it's clear that this was like an official thing that had been planned. He starts giving this like 20 minute long apology that was vague, but also like asking for forgiveness from the congregation. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like being specific about what he had done. Oh, and and he was the youth leader at the time. And like, a, I guess also like an elder or a deacon at the church or something like that. And so he's like giving this like long winded ambiguous explanation about like him wronging the church and like wronging the youth and like he's in sin and like all this stuff but like he, at the same time he's not being specific and then mm. the the pastor like comes up and he says like you know we forgive you and um like you're he's going to be stepping out of ministry for a while he'll still be in attendance and so it was like a like an official policy thing it felt like but like nobody ever knew nobody ever knew what happened that feels very weird because then that's opportunity for rumors to start and people can make it way worse than it was yeah. or the opposite, I guess. Like it could have been something terrible and then they downplay it. Like that feels like bad either way. Right. Well, what was interesting too is the pastor did give one clarification where he was like, there was no extramarital affair and there was no drug use. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but then I was like, well, the, like, well, what was it then? Uh, like know. if you're going to clarify that, that kind of reveals where they're like what they consider the greatest sins are. Like, just to be clear, it's not as bad as you think right. it could be. Well, and in my head right now, that just opened it up for worse things than extramarital affairs and drug use. Yeah. Like, to me, I'm like, uh, there are way worse things that a youth pastor could be doing. Uh, yeah, I'd rather totally. than be doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, when it's someone that works with children. I hope they're doing drugs or wow. cheating on their wife with an adult. Oh, oh. You know what I mean? I don't mean I'm being okay. a little, like facetious. I have but totally. I'm, I kind of agree with you, actually. <laughs> I don't mean to skip past that. Um, I have like I have a thing that I'm thinking about now, and I'm I want to bounce it off of you guys. There's a part of me that feels like because of the the amount of people who have grown up in youth group settings in the last let's say 20 mm -hmm. years, like somewhere in the early aughts, late 90s. And the majority of those people who also overlap with people who are leaving the church or deconstructing or like feel really alienated by the church, I almost mm. want to go out on a limb and say those people aren't actually rejecting the church at large. They are rejecting their youth group experiences more often than not. Uh, yeah. Especially wow. when you look at Twitter discourse, it's like a lot of people were really, really hurt as young people in youth group. Totally. Which is very valid. I don't think that that discounts their feelings about it no no well yeah if anything it feels like it legitimates it more because like we're finally realizing some of the screwed up things that were being done to us like even katie's example of like he told a joke about transformers and then immediately turned around and he's like don't laugh at that like that mm -hmm. that is 
psychological manipulation, you know? Yeah, I still feel totally. weird and yucky about it. Right. And so the Twitter discourse is is very valid because it's like, mm-hmm. yo, I thought we were just there to like lick peanut butter off of glass and play <laughs> dodgeball or whatever, you know, like there was, well, oh, cause that's part of what the structure does is it creates a bonding experience that is, is also like, it was a form of exercise. So like a ton of endorphins are getting out. Like we're feeling like we're bonding with our teammates who are our youth group friends. Right. And then we go right. play the, the minute to win it games. And it's like, yeah, you won. I mean, like you were actually getting prizes in those, Katie. Like, yeah, we played ultimate frisbee for two hours, um, on like full game nights because sometimes the youth pastor would just be like, "I don't want to give my sermon. Let's just keep playing." And oh wow, <laughs> so <laughs> so sometimes we would play ultimate frisbee for two hours, and literally from the first time the disc crossed an end zone, like we weren't keeping score. It was literally just about the game and playing together and having fun. Right. Right. So like. So there, I, it was just something about like, yeah, we're all just playing together. We're bonding, you know, it was an incredible bonding experience when you're like running around playing games, having fun, getting all these doses of like dopamine and endorphins and all this. And then you go sit through a sermon and like, because your brain is already up on those kind of chemicals, you're like, mm-hmm. and now we're, you know, strengthening that bond even more in the Lord or whatever, you right. know, with the music and with the sermon and then break out for small groups and, uh, you know, I don't know what your guys' experience was like, but pretty much any any gendered small group I was a part of from middle school all the way through high school, like the majority of the thing that high, like youth group boys talk about is not wanting to look at porn. You right. know, and I and that creates a bonding experience too of like, oh man, I've totally been there and like trying to create like some sense of accountability groups and like it, it very much like ties you together. Right. But then you get some distance on it and you're like, man, my leaders were doing some weird stuff. Like they, they made Transformers jokes and then shamed us for laughing. <laughs> like what stand up comedian right. tells a joke and he's like, you shouldn't have laughed at that. That was actually bad. <laughs> like what? Right. What? Or if they do make a joke like that, it's then all, also funny where it's like, oh, you guys are bad people. You shouldn't have laughed at that. But we're all laughing. Ha ha ha. But that's right. Yeah. It's a bit of gaslighting. Right. Like, Yeah. So I think part of that deconstruction journey is just kind of getting distance from things that were happening around us and to us, like when we were incredibly impressionable. Right. I feel like for me, because I, I have, I like I said, I have many friends from my youth group that are friends to this day. Um, and because of the the tremendous connection we forged over, you know, seven years of youth group I felt like when I started kind of the deconstruction journey I was struggling a lot with feelings of like I'm betraying my people because I grew oh, up oh god you know like I I grew yeah. up believing all these things and we were like singing songs about it being really excited about it trying to like preach to people on the street before acquire the fire or whatever and mm-hmm. and now like I I believe maybe half of the things I grew up learning right but as I deconstructed, Ugh. I felt like I was like, don't hate me, please. Like, I still want to be your I, friend, but. I relate to that so much. Genuinely, until maybe this year, maybe, I guess 2020, until 2020, mm. I still would choose to not post certain things because I w- 
was scared of what my youth pastor would think of me because I genuinely like and admire him and his family so much that I was like thinking about like, what if he sees this? And like, I don't know. I felt scared to say things that I genuinely believe in and that I think should I should speak out about. But I was like, what if leaders, adult leaders from my youth see this and don't like admire or respect me anymore? Yeah. And that is like a that was a genuine fear until last year, you know, which is I'm uh, 25. (laughs) You know, it's like it's been a long time since I've even seen or talked to those people. They probably it's, you know, I, I can talk about things that I believe in that they might not believe in, you know, but I, it's hard when you admire people and you're in a context like that, where you do have this emotional, sometimes manipulated bond. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That makes me sad. I think, I think part of it, I think it's probably easy to feel like it was manipulative and definitely that occurs. Right. But like, right. I think at, a, at another point, Josh and I have talked about this in the past on Ravel about indoctrination is going to happen anywhere. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like you, of course, you are going to be downloaded with certain beliefs and ways to operate in the world based on who you respect, who you love and mm-hmm. who you grow up around. Right. So like it might feel, I don't know. Yeah. It, I think it's really easy to make it feel manipulative, but maybe that's just the nature of like our psyches at that age and the way we, yeah. you know, grow up in communities. Well, and kind of going back to your point, Katie, cause I think it's a really good one. Like who was training or overseeing youth leaders in our no. era? Like, right. I think very few denominations had that built in. Like I've been a volunteer youth leader before, like in a, not like the leading capacity, but like in a supporting capacity. Right. And I don't have formal training like sure i went to ministry school for a year but like and i like listen to podcasts and stuff right. but like i haven't gone to seminary i i don't have any formal training on childhood development even though i have a psych degree right. like i'm more or less qualified more than some people maybe but like i'm certainly not an expert in creating a teenager <laughs> development program because like really that's what a youth group should be right. as a part of the church if it's going to exist in my opinion yeah mm. and i think that it's it's difficult to build that infrastructure. And I think it's really easy for churches to just like throw someone to the kids. I almost said to the pigs, throw someone to the kids <laughs> and just like take care of them because like they're just kids, like make them play a game. Yeah. Like I think like with the the games are, are such an interesting example because like I feel like someone along the way, like obviously just started playing games because they're like, well, they're kids. Like we got to get their attention or like get their energy out somehow. But then <laughs> totally. Steven, you're absolutely right that like, what that translates to is a bonding experience, even if like that wasn't intended to be manipulative, which in a lot of cases has been unfortunate. Right. Yeah. I was, I was the guy who was kind of promoted to uh, like being a youth leader. Like basically as soon as I entered high school, my youth pastor asked me to be a, a youth leader for the middle schoolers. Uh huh. So I would, I I would go to camps and like lead small, lead cabins and small groups and kind of be responsible for like five boys at a time, you know, and I would also be up there because I'm a musician. I was leading the worship team as Mm -hmm. well. And for me, like 
I was kind of getting high off the attention and the like the that sense of authority. I think it's really seductive for oh, people and I think it's really absolutely. easy. I there's no way in hell that I was qualified to be doing that, but at the same time like I was I was being the good little Enneagram 1 ninth grader who was like yeah, I'll do the right thing. I'll follow the rules and get my cabin to follow the rules and we'll just right. all have a good time at summer camp, you know? Right. Yeah. So, like, I'm very much the most unqualified version of what you guys are saying. Like, I have no such degrees, n- nothing about development. Basically, I was like, I've had a good experience at youth group and I want to share that with people too. And I think, yeah. I think my heart was in the right place, but at the same time, like, I'm terrified. Totally. I'm terrified of what damage I could have caused with things I said I know when I was acting in that capacity you know like it like if there's someone four to five years younger than me who is like completely up now because of something I tried to like teach them about my Calvinist reformed god you know (laughs) yeah (sighs) that's scary that kind of sits with me really heavy it is scary and I will say at least in my experience, I know this isn't true in everyone's. Genuinely, uh, every person that was ever a leader in my youth group, they didn't have, they had college kids be leaders and then like, uh, usually like young married people. Mm-hmm. And everyone genuinely, I have no bad vibes about <laughs> other than the one Transformer thing, but even him, I have like really positive memories with him him and his wife um Mm. so it's like i think everyone really loved middle and high school kids and wanted to serve and wanted to be a positive impact and i think everyone at least in my personal experience their hearts were totally in a wonderful place but i don't know that people ever realize the influence or weight that they have especially now being a young married person i'm like whoa that's Mm. what age i am like who knows what type of like Things, you know, who knows wow. where they were really at? I know for me, I- I've always been someone, <laughs> the way I was about to say this, I was going to say, I've always been kind of a dishonest person. That's what I was going to say. I didn't mean it like I'm a liar, but um, <laughs> but more like um, I- I'm aware when I don't believe fully everything that the church is saying. And I've always been that way. Like I've always had a oh. few opinions that are like, that I've always felt, but I've maybe lied about or kept hidden where I'm like, ooh, that specific political belief I believe in and I know no one else in this room does so I'm going to keep my mouth shut but I'm like there could have been other leaders like me who felt that way Mm. and were like I don't know and that's not I don't I don't know that that's a bad lie you're just trying to like kind of stick to the curriculum of the youth group which I think is probably what a parent would want you to do yeah there's certainly a pressure to just kind of like fall in line if you're the youth leader you know and just be like Take your cues uh-huh. from the youth pastor. And I don't blame them. Like, I don't feel mad at that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I really relate to that, Katie. I think that that's been a relevant experience for me, both as like a volunteer youth leader, but also as a church participant. Like, I know mm-hmm. that I'm much more likely to not voice a difference in belief that I have, even if I think that I am more correct. Yes. If too. I know that other people won't make space for that. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous, then we'll be back to our conversation. 
Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. So you don't think these billionaires are evil, but you think they're wasting their time. Yeah, I think it's something that they're finding fulfillment in because they're godless men. Is that too hot of a take? Crazy. <laughs> Jesus. Scorching hot Jesus. Oh my <laughs> good lord of mercy. Hey. They're godless men. <laughs> wow. Actually, that would that would really scramble, that'd rattle the Twitter sphere. You should throw that out there. I should. And now back to the conversation. Uh along those lines, what do you feel like? is the worst youth group advice you've ever gotten. Oh, Whoa. I have one off the top of my head. Oh, okay, please, go please go. Yeah. I remember this guy who actually ended up being a youth leader in multiple different churches that I went to. <laughs> but I remember um, mm. hearing him in middle school specifically, and it was during like a Q&A night, which I can really respect doing like a ask us anything about this topic yes, kind of thing. Yes, And this one was like a sex related dating related mm-hmm. night and uh, which was co-ed too they did it co-ed and it was it didn't get explicit i don't think but it was a lot of like dating 101 like what does god want for us like what like mm-hmm. how do we navigate things right i don't think i don't even think we even talked about sex actually Ooh. now that i'm thinking about it mm. but i remember one of his answers talking about like intent to marry and like get to know someone and his advice was along the lines of like, don't date to get to know people, get to know people first, like become friends first and then see if you want to date someone. Because then if dating doesn't work out, you have a friendship to fall back on. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Okay. I see that logic. That seems very reasonable to me. I'm going to try that out in, um, like I'm, I thought about this later as I was like trying to date this girl. And I was like trying to get to know her. And then after that relationship ended, I was like, why did I, why would I ever think that that was good yeah. advice? Like, why did this grown man who was clearly in a marriage, why did he think that like, why was he giving us advice that you can stay friends after you've tried to date someone? Like, that's really weird advice to give to middle and then, schoolers. Like, a, somewhat related, we were really, I would say, pushed where it's like, you date to marry. So do not date someone unless you think there is marriage potential. And I I totally disagree with that now. But I Mm. took dating so Mm. seriously. Said the married one. Yeah. But... You know, like in high school, I, but the, then, my first Josh, ever don't that that's a story that has a lot of twists and turns. If you <laughs> listen to Katie's sure. No Normal People, mm, that's fair. Um, but my first boyfriend was a boy in my youth group, and I at nineteen classic thought like, well, crap, 
I started dating him. I have to marry him. And we don't even like each other. We were together on and off for like years because I was just like, I was, and I thought Mm. he was the last one. He was really like the only Christian boy I knew that I was attracted to. And so I was just like, well, crap, this is it. Like I, we date to marry here Mm. and his family's really nice. I, I guess I can do this forever. That's like, that was my resolve is that I was like, well, I love his family. Wow. We'll be fine. I'll, I'll be able to get through this. He did not like me. I mean, he would say that he did, but the way he treated me now that I'm with someone who genuinely likes me as a human being, I'm like, no way. And he is also now married to like a really lovely person also from our youth group. And they're really great together. And I'm very happy for them. But like, and he is a good person, but we brought out the worst in each other. And by the end, I like didn't like myself Mm. anymore and certainly didn't like him but I was like we have to get married because you date to marry and this is so serious and that's terrible Mm. advice (laughs) too so wow wow yeah that that strikes home in an uncomfortable way so like so Dixie and I started dating when I was a freshman in high school Mm -hmm. and by my sophomore year we had done stuff we're not supposed to and Mm -hmm. we had both lost our virginity And we broke up for a year and I was truly like, basically my junior year of high school is just like lost in my memory because I was just truly despondent. Like, Mm -hmm. and I was still in the framework of like, you know, those analogies for like the, the purity culture stuff of like, you know, you like stick tape to something and then stick it to other things. And eventually the tape loses (laughs) its stickiness, you know? Yeah. I was still kind of in that framework. So senior year, Dixie and I started talking again. And we started dating and like uh, Dixie and I have processed this now, but there was, by the time we were engaged and married, which I got married when I was 20. So I was very much like in on the marry young and I was, I was kind of in on that. I date to marry and I dated this girl and, you know, we did things that the Lord would not approve of. And, uh, so like stick and tape to each other. (laughs) Yeah. So we've processed this and we've talked about this before, but there was, I think unconsciously, I would never have said this, this explicitly, but it was kind of, I felt a pressure of almost like an honor code to be like, well, you know, like we didn't have a baby, mm-hmm. but right. But because we did go that far and we did have sex when we were, we were young, it was almost like an honor code of like, I have to marry you now, you know? Oh mm. dude, that, is mm. heavy. I don't think I had ever said that out loud until about like two years ago. Like, I think it was so deep down and unconscious mm. to me. Um, I don't, I don't not for a day regret my decision to marry Dixie. She is the right. absolute best person for me to like have in my life. Right. And I, I, I truly believe that now, but you know, we just celebrated our sixth, uh, wedding anniversary and like, we are both completely different people from the people we married six years ago. Oh yeah. You know, Mm. and we're incredibly Mm. proud of that, you know, because we've gotten through some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff that came out of that youth group, you know, because our dating relationship even started as me. Like she was uh, Mormon at the time. And I kind of did that like missionary dating thing where I'm like, yeah, we should date. <laughs> we could date, but only if you start coming to my church with me, you know, and like, <gasps> oh my God, become a Christian, you know? 
Holy crap. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I did not know that. That's we, like blowing my mind. That is. We have a crazy past. Intense. <laughs> Whoa. Um, Whoa. So, I mean, I don't that all that probably falls in a category of like bad advice I once got. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think I probably w- did hear some of that explicitly, but I can't remember the day or remember like a youth leader pulling right. me aside and being like, hey, just be careful dating because you might be stuck with her kind of vibe. But, <laughs> you know, more hmm. this isn't exactly advice, but stuff that I think about a lot and probably could do a whole podcast episode just on this is I do have like very negative. I I guess you could call it advice of just in general about female sexuality oh and God. like yeah hmm. the only context that it was talked to me about was men struggle with sexual sin no one said women do not but no one said they did so it was just like yeah ladies someday like you're gonna get married and you are gonna hmm. have to love your husband through his sexual sin and his sexual temptation and like you're just gonna have to love him through it like pray for him pray for your future husband pray 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 and Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, oh, God, I'm mm. the only person in this room that's ever masturbated. I'm the only girl in here who's ever looked at porn. Wow. And then like one time I like <laughs> confessed it to a peer and she looked at me. She was a little younger than me, but she like looked at me horrified and oh. was like, I have never masturbated. I have never looked at porn. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm disgusting, you know? And then she's like, whoa, yeah, you need to pray about that. Oh. And then I eventually talked to like an adult female leader about it who's in college. And she was like, oh, yeah, no, no, I've done that, you know? Wow. <laughs> but it was like, but it took me years after being embarrassed by mm. a peer and shamed where I was like, oh, my God, girls don't get horny. I'm the only girl on earth that's ever gotten horny. I'm <laughs> you know what I mean? And then because we only talked about men being horny. Yeah. And not women. And so I really felt I felt so isolated and I felt so alone. And it wasn't until like I feel like probably not until college. I met like one other girl who's a friend who like also felt this like she emotionally confessed to me that she masturbates and I was like oh yeah me too I think everybody does and everyone's lying about it and then she was like so relieved but then I was like there's a problem here women are feeling really 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 isolated and are being given really horrible advice on how to deal with their own sexuality and like I still have friends who are in churches who are told that they can never say no to their husband ever and i'm just like whoa whoa yeah i mean it's not like the church like doesn't recently. have a history of telling women what they can and can't do with their bodies right yeah shocker hey but, but you know where i'm like dude i was like that's not mm. true like you you have bodily autonomy and it's okay to like respect yourself and take care of yourself and not do things that you don't feel comfortable doing i don't know yeah mm. yeah that's but so that happened in youth group a lot as well yeah i think that's good to point out yeah yeah if we're talking about men like men are just sexual animals you know but women Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of the like the purity culture talk was always like you know like you pass a rose around the room and by the end of it (laughs) it's all like tattered and gross or like the one that happened in my youth group okay story time the one that happened in my (laughs) youth group for this um was our youth pastor, he put 
an Oreo cookie in a cup and then put a latex glove on. And then he handed the cup around like he was like, everyone passed the cup around. And this was at the co-ed youth group, by the way. This was not the small group. This was the co-ed like high school youth group. And he, we passed around the cup and he's like, everyone spit in the cup. And by the time like it comes back around the circle, he with his gloved hand, he pulls the Oreo out and he's like, who wants to eat this now? Oh, that is so insulting. That's so like degrading. And of course, the subtext is like, this is the female body. Yes. It's not that the men's. absolutely the, yes. Right? Yes. I think that, that image has stuck with me. And, and even that night, I was like, yo, dude. young people to view women like that. And you just know that like some little boy in that room was like, well, I don't know. I'd eat it. An Oreo is an Oreo. Like, <laughs> like you know that some somebody is interpreting the yes. metaphor and they're like, well, I like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. And those are and those are the same kids in my youth group that That's drank hilarious. the mouth lemonade in the game the night before. <laughs> I know. Yeah. They, totally. It's like here totally. we're going to have fun drinking mouth lemonade. But. But if you eat this spit on cookie, yeah. you're disgusting. Right. And it's like, you just had me spit lemonade into someone's mouth. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. Katie, thank you so much for saying that. Sure. Where do you think that people started using metaphors for purity culture? Like, it's such a trope, like the rose or the gum or the, the chewing, the spitting. Crinkled up paper. And none of it, all of it avoids explicit, like, mm-hmm. when you have sex your penis or vagina gets used. Right. Like it always avoids talking about the body. It always uses metaphor. And this might be a generalization, but I feel like those types of people who like to use those metaphors are also very, uh, very emphatic that the Bible is not just metaphors. Uh, Absolutely. And that metaphor is like somehow a degrading of truth, but they themselves are using metaphors to use this purity culture. I don't know. There's like something yes. weird there. Do you know That's what I mean? That's a very interesting point where they're, yeah, like why is that metaphor they just used okay? Like why wouldn't they just come out and like be explicit? Yeah, if they want the Bible to be so literal yeah. and so specific, then look me in my teenage girl face and tell me that once someone has sex with me, I'm used and will never be like whole again. Look me in my face and say it. If like if you're so wanting to be so yeah. literal all the time, yeah, I kind of agree. Like if you're gonna have that opinion, like yeah. be honest about it. Yikers! Ugh. Yikers! I'm I'm thinking about youth group leadership again, and mm-hmm. uh, I think on the other side of so like I always felt in through deconstruction like I was betraying my people, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think very much so there's also an angle of like if a youth group leader leaves or has or has a moment where like Josh where he has to be like reprimanded by the church in public and do an apology or whatever. Uh There is kind of a sense of betrayal even there. I think like on the other side of betrayal like I like I trusted you man and I, I can't believe so like. Uh, a youth leader of mine, he was never the youth pastor. He did go to Bible college and got his degree while I was in youth group. I feel like a lot of my deconstruction process has been kind of in direct rebellion of things he taught me, especially in small groups. 
and it was less about like the, the purity culture mm. stuff. And like, he was the one who basically taught me to equate because we did a whole series about like, um, studying other religions for the pure purpose of building apologetic yes. uh, arguments against those religions. So we did, we did Islam, we did Buddhism, we did Hinduism, we did. And so what he did though, is he tied like atheism and secularism to like, he explicitly pretty much built like only the Christians are right. And yes, literally everything else is a monolith for which we need to have like an answer against. Um, yes. Which we, we talked about with Emily on our, uh, the overlap of culture and religion episode is kind of like that weird, that weird move we do where it's like, it's all, they're all over there. And our specific, even denomination of Christianity is the only right one. Like I've said it on Ravel before, but I didn't think Emily was a real Christian when I was in high school because she was a Methodist. Uh huh. That is pretty problematic. Um, so like. I did a lot of deconstruction pretty much against that explicitly. But now, <laughs> like a year or two ago, I found him on Facebook and he's sharing a bunch of like Alex Jones Infowars. And I'm like, oh, Dude, God. what? Like, I very much felt like, OK, Whoa. so you teach us all this stuff and now you've gone down that rabbit hole. Like you've yeah. completely recolored like my entire youth group experience with you as my leader. Oh, Whoa. One thing that I think is interesting about youth groups is that I think that people in our age group are really prone to like only look back at youth groups in hindsight because that totally makes sense, right? Because that's our experience. We like literally, we made it out alive. Yay. Like, <laughs> look at this thing back there that we like have good and weird experiences mm -hmm. from. But like, I'm just like thinking now about how like there's literally so many youth groups. That are happening for people right now mm -hmm. and there's so many people who are still youth leaders like either vocationally or voluntarily and there will be more people mm. who come out of youth groups with different good and mm -hmm. weird experiences especially with how many people talk about purity culture not being great these days like maybe we're going to fix that problem in the next generation of youth groups and like maybe the big pitfall of the next gen is like going to be something crazy different. I bet so. I bet you're right. So I'm just like thinking about that right now. Uh, if you had to build a youth group and you were the youth leader and you had to minimize all the bad <laughs> stuff and like make it as good as possible oh. for like young forming minds, how mm. would you do it? I love that question. Gosh, I'm glad you do, Katie, because that just makes me super nervous. <laughs> it just makes me anxious. <laughs> um, totally. Well, what's cool is like in my mind, a lot of stuff could stay the same about my youth group experience. I hmm. liked the the community. I liked the the sports and the games. Like, I, I and even if those are maybe forms of like oh bonding, but I'm also like yeah, but that's okay, you know. Uh, cause totally. I am grateful for those relationships and, and they were, even with bad advice, they were good people that I trusted and still look back and at least most of them, not, of course, not everyone, but a lot of people, especially leaders, I'm like, yep, people made 
the church made good choices with who they asked to be leaders, even if they weren't qualified and even if they did give some bad advice. At the end of the day, they were kind, loving people. And it was cool to be a young person growing up with adults who were setting an example of kindness and love and maybe like volunteering, you know, like we -hmm. did good things for our community Mm -hmm. that I feel good about. And some of that could stay the same. I think I I always joke. (laughs) I always joke that if I was going to make my perfect church, I always say it's queer eye church because I love how well-rounded queer eye that show is i like that Mm. they so if i built a youth group or built a church it would be like okay you come together uh we do something that focuses on eating and creating food together we do something that focuses on self-love and self-care and mental health and maybe something that's like maybe it is something like what are you struggling with but not in a shame lens but instead in a healing lens where it's like you have someone who's who is qualified to give some type of advice of like oh you should take a dance class and you know some of it would be silly but it would be like so something focusing on like creating a meal together that's maybe like balanced and healthy and fun and then like someone who's focusing on you know self growth someone who's focusing on some other type of like more like a hobby so that could be like a craft or sports or whatever and then someone who is focused on maybe some type of like community outreach or some type of physical health like maybe it's like exercise or maybe it's like maybe it is something that's appearance wise but just something that's like how do I help you feel like a whole person and you feel whole all by yourself and you're Mm. able to give to others because you have like done some type of healing and like you combine all of those qualities to like create well-rounded young young adults tell you what if 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 i went to a church where jonathan van ness was the head pastor i would tithe so fast i would yeah i I love jonathan van ness (laughs) all in (laughs) on that that? i don't know that name do you watch queer eye at all josh oh no i don't oh it's soul food man you gotta watch it it's good for your soul i it really is. Okay. It is kind of a churchy experience. Like it uh, almost it every is. episode like moves me to tears the way those guys pay attention to someone. Oh yeah. I am moved to tears every time. Just that example of like th- we're here to pay attention to you, you know, and get yes. to know you and let you say what you need to say, say what you want to say even. Like we're just here to like Yes. I wow. Wow. Yeah. And that's what a youth group can be. It could be a space or even a church. It's a space to give people space to be themselves and through joy and through pain and to help someone grow and to have leaders that are knowledgeable in different areas and provide a source of community and safety. I love that. Emotionally. I really love that. I honestly, I, I am fascinated by the food angle and i think that is something that the church has lacked for many many centuries um Mm -hmm. because like you know you study the early church like the eucharist table wasn't just like a like an oyster cracker or a gluten-free thing (laughs) and grape juice you know at church but church was literally around a table and like it was it was a it was a feast moment it was to share 
with your community, like the bounties of your gardens. And it was the church was about eating and then they would celebrate like Eucharist and communion at the end of that to kind of put a button on it and remind remind everyone like, yeah, we just had an awesome meal together. And so much of food is about culture and community and tradition like food is so much more than and it nourishes your body and fuels you like and food cooking together there's just like a cool experience about that and there's stories and family like there's just there's a lot more weight to food than uh than everybody gives it so it's like yeah let it be a source of something extra yeah and if antony was just there giving us a sermon while we were Mm -hmm. eating yeah i mean Yes, please. Yeah. I'm into it. I love Anthony. <laughs> He's my favorite. We're just going straight over Josh's head now. We're just going to keep talking about <laughs> I think if I was going to structure or restructure the youth group experience, mm-hmm. I think that the biggest thing in my mind would be to decrease the amount that it is on one person's shoulders. Oh, yes. To lead the experience. Same with all of church. Like whether that means like it's a solo person or like it's like one person over the head of like the volunteers. Like I just think that that like we've just seen time and time again, like regardless of whether it's a political or religious institution, like that just sets us up for so much failure. Yes. I think it would also be very wise. I mean, I realize not every church can like hire a professional or not every church has someone in attendance who wants to volunteer their time in this way. but. I think it's absolutely critical to have someone who is trained with mental health experience, preferably someone who's a counselor, because like if we're going to like involve ourselves in like a big group of kids and we're like forming their minds, like crises are going to happen, like mental health or otherwise. And um, pastors are not trained counselors. Definitely not. Preach it. Even the trained ones. And like half the time, youth leaders aren't even pastors. Like I hate to like that. That sounds so snobby, but like. You know what I mean? Well, but I yeah, wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't a pastor when I was a youth leader, you know? Right. Totally. I didn't even have like theological training in what I was doing as a worship leader. I, for me, it just became a concert that I was really excited to perform <laughs> and kind of got off yeah. any attention. Totally. Being the guy facing the other way in the building, you know? Right. There's also a part of me that wishes that youth groups were somehow like mixed denominational. Yes. Thank you. Ooh. Or thank you. Or that gave like good like exposure to other denominations. I don't even know how that would work. Right. When I was in high school, I always wanted to put together an event where every church in Laurel would like put either like a member of like a worship band, like one member from their band into like a big like super band and then get all the youth groups together and do like a worship night and like have each of the youth pastors offer something like a like a reading from the Bible or like a little sermon or something. N- nothing super long, but even in high school, I thought that would be so cool to be like, yes, let's get all the churches together and like, because you go to you go to public school, right? And you're like, there are my youth group friends, and I know those people go to that church, but like I've never talked to them before, and I don't really care to, if I'm honest, because I already have my people. But if we did more right. to like integrate like an entire city's worth of church communities, I think that would be super, super healthy. I probably would have learned that Methodists are Christians much earlier. <laughs> my <laughs> right. high school 
and college did those things because like my high school had like Christian clubs, like fellowship of Christian athletes and like people from every church in the town oh. would go to that. Whoa. And then like we did like prayer at the pole or whatever. See you at the pole. Yes. The, see you at the pool. Thank you. Where uh, everyone like came and prayed and they were all different denominations. And I remember being like, oh, gosh, when people started like speaking in tongues, because I my two experiences were Lutheran and Baptist, where we certainly <laughs> didn't speak in tongues. Oh. So I was like, ah, <laughs> and then in college. We had a few like full campus worship nights where people from every single uh, student ministry on campus came together in like a big room and like all the worship bands combined and like had a volunteer from each worship band be on the band. So it was like a huge band and like a packed house and everybody from every single student ministry was there. I mean, that's obviously all only like Christian denominations. So it wasn't like inclusive of all religions but at least it was inclusive of all denominations which was cool yeah and i think what that teaches is like it's a step in the right direction um toward like real interfaith conversation you know yeah because like i said i had a youth leader who was basically training me to think of like there's the christians here our denomination of christians here and then everyone Mm -hmm. else is over there and we have to like fight against their culture but yeah if we if we put communities together and start moving in the direction of like yeah we can like have a good faith conversation with someone who's muslim in our school and that's okay you don't have to be threatened by it and you don't have to set it up like a ken ham versus uh bill (laughs) nye the science guy debate right like (laughs) no one was served by that and also bill nye won factually like he just wiped the floor with ken ham (laughs) of course we watched that live. My youth leader wanted to watch that live, so we watched it live and I was like I felt like I was the oh only my gosh. I felt like I was the only one in the room who was like I think I think the science guy is right, you guys. Oh gosh. <laughs> but I didn't I say know. it. That's kind of the thing of like <laughs> I felt Yeah. I very much felt the pressure to not be like but could we like explore that idea, please? Yeah. Did you guys see that Ken Ham is building a Tower of Babel replica just like he built the uh, Ark? <laughs> yes. I was just about to say that. It's all I can think about. I then went down on like a deep dive and was watching these like 30 minute videos of the tour of the Ark. And I texted Alex and I was like, we have to go. And oh Alex is like, I am not going to give that man my money. But I was like, I, I want to go. I want to I want to go to the museum. I want to go to the Ark. Because <laughs> now I'm just like, what? In what Man. world do you live? Yeah, that's just kind of like we have two completely separate. Is the realities. Tower of Babel going to be just like a leaning Tower of Pisa, but like not leaning? That is exactly what I pictured, but for some reason I pictured he'd like paint it black. Oh, oh, like the that was like, like how it looked in my head. <laughs> like the Tower of it's like Baradur with the Eye of Sauron on top. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's so good. Also, I hope that's exactly what he built. I can't. Wouldn't it be awesome, though, if like the full replication of the event happened and like all of Ken Ham's construction workers like are very confused and they're all speaking different (laughs) languages now and the tower gets destroyed? (laughs) Oh, that would would be be so so great. Like what? He would just take it as proof. Yeah, right. Like what's the calculus here? What are you trying to do? Maybe he's tempting God now. He's like. I will build the Tower of Babel and see <laughs> if it really me. happened. Yeah. <laughs> Smite <Yeah>. me. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, the, that's the other thing I would get rid of. I would get rid of mission trips. Ayo. <gasps> oh, yeah. I straight up would. 
I think it's too complicated to take people who are like not, they don't have formed brains yet. They certainly don't have a formed faith yet to inform like what they're doing, like what the purpose is that they're totally. doing. Yep. I don't think that that means you give up service projects, but like out of country mission trips, I think are I really, really agree a hundred percent. Katie, did you ever go on a mission trip? I, every year for camp, we did mission camp, but it was just local oh. Oh, okay. um, community projects. So I feel still really good about most of them, all except one. <laughs> all except so. one. Yeah, the only one I feel weird about is, because all the others were just like, um, you know, in Colorado when like there were the big Estes Park floods, we like did flood cleanup. Um and all oh, yeah. ones like that, I feel great about. Or some of them, it was like we would lead a sports camp for kids, but parents knew it was going to be a Christian camp. Um, and I think not everybody there was a Christian, like not all the kids, but parents at least knew what they were signing up for. So the only one where there wasn't parental consent and I was talking to children and evangelizing to them was I for one of my mission camps, I volunteered at the Boys and Girls Club and we didn't get to choose where we were placed. We just were placed. And um, and and the leaders at the Boys and Girls Club said explicitly, they're like, we know you're from the Christian camp in town, um, but like you can't evangelize to these kids. So don't. And we did that. anyway. Oh, no. Um, OK. Whoa. I like them putting the rule out. Me too. And now I have, I feel gross about it. And I don't think anyone pushed it too hard. I think we mm. all kind of looked at each other and we were like, um, we, they asked us not to, let's not. So we didn't push it too hard. Uh, but I, we, I know we like kind of inserted it into conversations a little, like, I think the rule was like, you can only bring it up if they bring it up, but we would kind of say things to get the kids to be like, are you going to come back? And it's like, oh, no, I'm gone after this date. And it's like, why? And it's like, well, because I'm at camp. And they're like, what is camp? You know, so that mm. feels a little bit funny. Yeah. But that's my only mm. one. Because otherwise, stuff we did was like Habitat for Humanity. And I feel good about all of those. But that's my only one that I'm like, uh, this feels not Totally. Right. I also wish, now my mind is just like coming up with more examples, so thank you. Um, I also wish that youth leaders did a better job or were like more encouraged to like not speak about topics. Like I actually think that the church could figure out a healthy way to talk about sex in a way that's not demeaning and also not exclusionary. Mm -hmm. But I wish that some youth leaders would just like leave some topics as like, you know, you can learn that on your own time, Like, but what we're here to talk about now is the Bible mm. or yeah. like, and like be more streamlined that way. Like here we're talking about Jesus and the things that Jesus talked about. Um, you can research that on your own. I might have a couple people to point you to maybe, or like, this is a great organization that like, like talks about Jesus and that issue, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Yeah. I think my youth pastor actually was pretty good at that. Like I remember texting him or like messaging him one time and asking uh, questions about like, mm fearing god or whatever and like what does that mean and he pointed me to some resources but in general he was like what do you think it means like you don't have to answer right now like think about mm. it we'll talk about it again later and then i was able to like kind of read about it and look at a few other sources and talk to some other people and then i kind of came back and i was like here's what i think and then he didn't tell me his opinion he like really let me have my own 
which I think about a lot and really value. Mm. And I think mm. he was a good wow youth pastor. Yeah. That is really cool. That's good. Yeah, that's that's very special. Wow. Do we have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I think with <laughs> I think my final thought is like everything is good and bad. <laughs> Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. Things are, everything is complicated. Everything is both. Yeah. It's not as simple as we might have been raised to believe. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to be like, we should abolish youth group because I'm like, no way. There's a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. But also, and also, maybe not. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's definitely complicated. Josh, anything? No, I like the way you summed that up. I think that that's a very gracious way to put it. That's excellent. Um, Katie, will you tell everyone where they can connect with you on social media and find your podcast and everything? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the into podcast, I N and the number two podcast. And then you can also find me on Twitter as at Katie's tweetings and on Instagram at, at Katie's insties. I love that. <laughs> That's funny. Katie's tweetings, Katie's insties. It's very <laughs> clever. It's very good. Well, since Emily's not here, I think I'll lead us out with a banger. How does that sound? With a <laughs> banger, my friend. Take us out. <laughs> um, If you're drinking something, I don't know if either of you have your water and coffee yet, but I'm raising the end of my cider. Um, To all of the youth leaders, past, present, and future, in the ways that you taught us well and in the ways that you heard us, may you... Be ever growing and learning yourself as you shape the young minds of the future. Beautiful. Cheers Love to that. that. Cheers. Love that. Um, uh, <laughs> for the record, I do have coffee, and thank you for asking. It is still hot because of my ember mug, and it's oh, awesome. because it's an ember mug. <laughs> Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where every week we discuss our modern world over a fresh cocktail. We start with three ounces of a favorite philosopher. Take your pick of Hobbes, Locke, or Rousseau. Next, we pour in a shot of modern discourse like Second Amendment policy or renewable energy. Sweeten with a dash of lighthearted conversation about salsa cereal or the private space industry. Shake with ice and strain with ideas about modern art or raw milk regulation. Garnish with intellectual humility and moderate optimism. Cheers. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.